Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. In Marcus's case, he kind of brings a charge to the batter's box and, a, and kind of a, uh, you know, he insulates the middle infield. So he's truly a modern-day semi-in conductor. And, uh, and, and we all know there's a shortage of chips worldwide, so you can imagine the people that come. I, I just could not stand being, in, being, have, facing, being a baseball re- reporter and having to laugh with all of those mercy laughs in that pitiable attempt by Scott Boris to do anything that's interesting. That was something. Outside of signings, that was him at the winter meetings talking about Marcus Simeon. It was just, oh, my God. And I thought we sucked. I mean, I know we sucked. He's way (laughs) below us. He is way below us. This show uses Scott Boris for toilet paper. That's just awful. Cloying That was terrible. Terrible, oh. terrible. The prepared remarks, too. It's like, wait a second, that's the best you got. Why would you even do that? Just sit there and take oh. questions. Yeah, I, yeah, right. I don't get that. No. Well, this is really awful. In Lancaster, California, unleaded gasoline is $6.99 a gallon and Holy nine tenths. Cow. Yes. California, everything's bad. Lancaster's is the, high, is the high desert. I happen to see this as Greg Gabriel retweeted it, um, and I follow Greg. I don't know who the original tweeter is, but can you imagine seven bucks a gallon? That's just, and in LA, you, you've got to drive 30 minutes just to get to a bathroom because there's so much traffic. It takes so much time. <laughs> right. It's just awful. Boy, you better vote for work at home. If you're in LA, if you're anywhere in Southern California, God, that's, that's all right. So anyways, the white Sox were also at, the winter meetings, Marcus Simeon used to be with the White Sox. He used to be on that team. He's not on that team. He might be on that team again. Could be. We're going to go to the Scores Hotline. We're going to talk with Herb Lawrence. Scores Hotline is presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Herb co-hosts with Chris Tannehill, Locked on Sox. It is a podcast you should subscribe to. It is a podcast that is co-hosted by passionate, emotional, sensible White Sox fans. And I don't know if emotional and sensible can be applied that way, but I just did it, Herb. Your thoughts on the offseason? What did you think of what you heard from Rick Hahn or what you saw from Rick Hahn in the winter meetings? I think, and hello, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on. I think that Rick is 
hamstrung by Horace's owner. But hopefully his owner was paying attention to what happened in October with Houston. Now, we all went to that series knowing that Houston was slightly better than the White Sox. At least I I came away with that uh, feeling that Houston miles away from the White Sox. And I know they're losing Perea pretty much for the offseason. So I wish that Jerry Reinsdorf looked at that series and said, you know what, I don't have many more years to go as being the owner of the White Sox. I want to see another one and then another one after that. So let's put all our chips in and get the players necessary to push us over the top of teams like Houston, New York, the Braves, the Dodgers, things like that. So if Rick Hahn is given the chance to have all the purse strings be released and pick the players they need to compete, a right fielder, a second baseman, I think he'll do a fine job. But Jerry Reinsdorf, at the end of the day, is Jerry Reinsdorf. So he wants to win his way where he's not spending five years plus on a starting pitcher. He's not putting $100 million down on a contract. Well, at least he's offering that, but he's never signed a player for more than what Yasmani signed a couple of years ago. I think that was uh, somewhere 70 or $80 million, uh total. So what I want is Rick Hahn to give, or Jerry Ransom to give Rick Hahn whatever he needs to get the job done. If that means money for trades, money for free agents, whatever goes forward. Rick Hahn has this settled if he gives, if he's given autonomy of this offseason. Well, and, and Herb, you mentioned the, the positions that uh, the White Sox have needs at, right field, second base. We saw some action on the starting pitching front this week. Uh, the Cubs claimed Wade Miley. You also had um, Heaney signing with the Dodgers. Um, and you have some, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you in terms of the Sox not wanting long-term deals on starting pitchers. They have Carlos Rodon, which they made a qualifying offer on, but I think everyone expects that to go uh, south and Rodon will head elsewhere, right? He says he's not interested in a one-year deal. What about guys, and again, this is possibly pipe dreams, but, you know, the veteran, more expensive short-term, but you don't have to go long-term, and My pipe dream is Max Scherzer, you know, a guy that you maybe pay a ton of money for a year or two. And I don't even know that that becomes uh, possible for Scherzer, depending on what the market is. But to me, right, because this team is built to win right now. That is a lot of money. Uh, Market value is probably around $30 million. That's why I said it's a pipe dream. He probably will win the Cy Young this year. So... And you still got some bullets in that gun. I would love it. It's a win now move. The Dodgers did it, tried to win now. Again, it failed, but you can't fault the Dodgers for going out and getting Trey Turner and Max Scherzer. Those are winning moves by championship GMs. Now, $35 million, if Rick doesn't go and put money on Max Scherzer, I will not be disappointed. If he goes and gets them, mercy. We're, we're cooking with gas. Just Scherzer. Lance Flynn, Giolito. I mean, we just go down the line. Mid Kopech, like our fifth starter. Come on now. Um, right. Yeah, it'll be great. It'll be awesome to have a guy like Max Scherzer. But I am not getting my hopes up for that type of free agent signing. Starting pitching, I think the White Sox are going to look at and say, we're fine, even though the playoffs say you're not. Uh, they're just going to think that's a blip in the radar. They're like, Lance will get sick. So will Lucas. So we'll see another year of him. And then, Kopech will come up and uh, bring up the rear, and then what we get from 
South Keiko will be uh, gravy. So I'm not too um, looking that they're going to put a pitcher in their shopping cart. But if they get Max Scherzer, I mean, hell, Clayton Kershaw for a reduced price, I'm in. Yeah. We're talking with Herb Lawrence of Locked of the Locked on Sox podcast. He co-hosts with Chris Tannehill, and he is on the air with us now. Herb is on the score. So there was a there is a poll going on, a discussion going on in, in Canada on Sportsnet. And I kind of looked at the White Sox as making this same choice. And the question is, who would you rather the Blue Jays re-sign? In this case, who would you, I want to ask you, Espo, and you, Herb, who -hmm. would you rather the White Sox sign? Robbie Ray, the left-handed pitcher, who seems to be the favorite for the Cy Young, or Marcus Simeon, MVP candidate? If you're the White Sox, if you're a White Sox fan, Herb, I think it's fair to say you might get one, maybe one golden ticket free agent, one big ticket free agent, maybe, please, praying, say a rosary, how many novenas, all that kind of stuff. So you're going to get one. Would it be Robbie Ray or Marcus Simeon? What would your choice be? My choice is Marcus Simeon out of those two. Sorry about that. I feel sorry I stepped on you. My bad. I should have walked it no, up. No worries, Herb. Go for it, man. Marcus Simeon, for me, it's not because of Robbie Ray's not good. It's just because I believe position players hold their value longer than starting pitchers. Uh, and Marcus Simeon's last two full major league seasons in 2019 and 2021 have been spectacular. He wasn't the player that he was here at uh, White Sox. When he left here and they traded him for Samarja, I was like, all right, good, fine. He turned himself into a major league shortstop slash second baseman. And with the bat, mercy, I cannot believe that he is the guy that he is now. So, yeah, give me 45 home runs and for the next four or five years. And like I said before, I don't think Reinsdorf will sign a pitcher and Robbie Ray's going to be looking for five, six years uh, left on his contract. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm with Herb on this one. I, Robbie Ray, not that he's, not that I wouldn't want him on the team, but certainly the, the ask is going to be huge, and that type of, of offer and that what it, what would be required to sign him in this offseason, uh, I, I just I'm not for that. I would absolutely rather have Simeon, who you can plug in. He's a guy who plays every day. You know what you're going to get offensively. He'd be great in the clubhouse. Uh, so 100% with you on that one, Herb. So we're one of the things that came out of the winter meetings was Rick Hahn trying to I don't know. I believe her I believe Herb that Tony LaRussa soiled the bed with Kimbrell and Hendricks. I thought he soiled the bed with the end of the bullpen. I know Hendricks was is the reliever of the year, two years in a row he won the Mariano Rivera Award. He actually, according to Bill James, he's a runaway winner of the Cy Young, using Bill James's the way he's calculated things. But I believe when Kimbrell came over, when the trade was made, Hendricks said, let him close. I'll do the seventh and eighth innings. I just want to win whatever's best for the team. And when you, when the White Sox, the whole world saw Kimbrell struggle in anything but a save situation, in anything but the ninth inning, I thought the manager stubbornly 
went back to to demanding a guy do something. He clearly putting him in a worse position, and I think that's what Larusa did. And then the question was brought up to Rick Hahn, and in some weird way to justify it, and now they're just going to sign him and trade him. I is is Rick Hahn? Is that an example of Rick Hahn falling on Larusa's steamer? Or do you think that that was handled right and it's simply the player's fault for not performing? One thing I think Rick Hahn is as good as at least the administrative things. Like, he crossed his T's and dot I's. So before he got Craig Kimbrell, I'm sure, I'm not privy of this, but I'm sure he had a conversation with Tony LaRusso. Hey, I'm getting this best closer in the National League to supplement our bullpen. Would you want him on the team? And would you use him in certain roles as the closer? As we've seen with the Cubs, he's kind of you know, finicky on pitching other than the ninth inning. And throughout his career, he's only been a closer. Would you put him in a closer role and have Hendricks, who we find as a multiple-inning guy, more flexible? I'm sure that conversation had, had to happen. And somewhere between there and the games being played, Tony changed it up. And so, yes, I think Rick, in this GM meeting with the press, he cleaned up Tony's mess. Because Tony, at the end of the year, admitted that Kimbrough is a ninth-inning guy. That's what he is. But he barely used him in the ninth-inning for save situations. Now, Liam Hendricks, reliever of the year. Awesome. He did his job. I think he took the Kimbrough coming over as not even a challenge or he wasn't slighted, but, like, motivation. Let's get better. His second half was awesome. I would have liked for the general manager and the manager to be on the same page. I don't think you get Craig Kimbrell to be an eighth inning guy, especially the Craig Kimbrell that was .49 ERA with the Cubs, dominant, knuckle curve, just unhittable, fastball, 98 plus. So I think there was a a, uh, mix up in communication there. Tony didn't understand what Rick was asking. And now, the deal is, you know, you just pick up the $16 million option and you give, give him away because you know your manager is not going to use him right. So, yes, Rick uh, put himself on Tony's sword because he knows Tony's more powerful than he is in this organization right now. So that's a sad thing that Rick has to live with, the reality that Tony is the kingmaker of the White Sox and he has the ear of Jerry Reinsworth more than he does. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, you're certainly not going to pay Craig Kimbrell $16 million to, to pitch in the eighth inning. So um, I'd be I, I will be very curious to see where he ends up and and uh, what he ends up doing. But then and, and the Sox have talked about needing help in that bullpen, too, because especially you move Kopech out of there and Tapera's a free agent. You're going to need some arms back there again. Mm-hmm. 100%. Like, the bullpen was pretty decent in the playoffs, and for the most part during the season, they were pretty decent. Worse than they were expected to do before, the spring, before spring training started, but still a top American League bullpen. With Tep leaving, with Kimbrough most definitely leaving, Marshall's a free agent. You need to supplement that. They have some in-house candidates. I like what Ray Lowe did last year. Ronaldo Lopez, he can be a late-inning, high-leverage reliever. I think that's his best role. He can save his high 90s fastball and the off-speed pitches that he's developed for just one, two, three, or four batters instead of having to go through a lineup 
one or two times. So there's an option there. And then, you know, just getting a good arm. We've seen with other people like uh, Matt Sick out there in the Braves. There's sometimes guys just develop their pitch as well. Tapera himself, he got non-tendered by the Cubs last year and then had this type of season with the Cubs and the White Sox. So I would love for him to come back. With pitching in the bullpen, it's volatile from year to year. So you might find a diamond in the rough. Evan Marshall himself was a great pitcher for the White Sox we're leaving, and then he fell off the table with this injury. I would see if – I think he has a Tommy John surgery, so maybe sign him to a minor league deal, and then if he gets healthy by the end of the year, no problem with Evan Marshall coming back to the White Sox. So I'm not too worried that Rick Hahn will get the pieces for the bullpen for it to be a competitive one in the 2042 season. Well, some sad, painful truths issued by Herb Lawrence, and that's why we had him on. And, Herb, I want to thank you for coming on and uh, appreciate your – your candor and appreciate your spitting facts to us. Thank you. Well, I hope we play ball in 2022. I hope this uh, free agency <laughs> yeah. goes on. And what well, by December 1st is a short work stoppage, and we're right back to playing baseball in February. All right. Well, okay. I have seen this movie before. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> that 60 game season's looking really good right now. <laughs> All right, Herb, thanks. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thanks, Herbie. Herb Lawrence, he uh, score producer for Lawrence Holmes, but he is the co-host of Chris Tannehill on Locked On Sox, and it was really true. It's like he was, he just dictated the hierarchy, the power, the power rankings in the White Sox: Reinsdorf, Larusa, and then Rick Hahn is cleaning up behind the elephants in the circus. It's really, but I- it's awful. I agree with what Herbie said there, too, though, about Reinsdorf. If there was ever a time to ignore your uh, your spending limits, it's, hey, I'm 85. How old is Jerry Reinsdorf? And I don't have it in front of me. 85-ish, something like that. Whatever, yeah. I have a, I have a fantastic team that is one of the five or six best in baseball, and with a little help, um, you know, we could be – Serious, serious contenders. They were serious contender this year, but you saw what happened in the playoffs to the Astros. I would think this would be when when you would take off some of the spending limits and say, hey, what well, you know what? You have two or three years. Let's let's go for it right this minute and see what happens. That would be logical to me. Yes, you would think so, but well, we don't know. We'll see. All right, that's uh, Mike Esposito. I'm Steve Rosenblum. We, uh, and later on this hour, we'll talk with Chris Emma of The Score about the Bears. And you know what? We're going to come back, and we're going to talk about the Bears. I would like to taunt Matt Nagy. There is news on that front about taunting. We'll bring that to you, and we'll have a discussion, such as Saturday Suckage can have a discussion, but we're going to do that. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast we get it attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on netflix but what do people do with their ears well for one they're listening to audio americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day oh and you want the proof well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. It doesn't matter what, what I think and when I look at it, but the biggest thing is I think what they're trying to direct is whatever you do, don't do it to the, to the opponent. Do it to your, team, your own teammates, right, if you're celebrating or anything like that. So that's the rules. And, and we got to follow the rules. And, and that's as simple as that. Except Matt Nagy, historically pathetic, pathetic Matt Nagy. The Bears don't have a coach skilled at coaching discipline, at having players follow the rules, at keeping players under control. This is just a dumb team. And it is playing dumb. It is committing dumb penalties. It can't line up on side. They can't figure out what taunting is. And then there's a whole bunch of, and this goes to the media too, you know, bitching about the officiating. Mike Esposito's in for Mark Grody right here on Saturday Suckage. So the idea that you're going to bitch about the officiating, you know what? Shut up. Shut up about the officiating. If you don't put the officials in a position to make that decision, they don't matter. You do. And that's the, that, that's what obscures every failure of the Bears is you put the officials in a position to matter. And if you think they mattered, you're giving the Bears an excuse. They can't have an excuse. It wasn't the officials' fault that the Bears sucked in the first half, that they were, again, unprepared, that again, under Matt Nagy, they were undisciplined, that again, he made dumb decisions. It's just, mm-hmm. I don't let the officials blur the fact that this is a... This coach is suckering everybody, everybody, GM, the idiot, the two stooges, Ted and George, Virginia. I just, it's amazing how bad a coach this guy is when you can't do basic things like line up onside, nor is there a consequence for lining up offside. I just don't put the officials in a position to make a difference. 
And that, to me, Steve, is the that's the biggest argument against Matt Nagy. And people talk about will they retain him? Will he come back? Will he not come back? Does the field's development uh, change what may or may not happen in the offseason? And to me, that's exactly why it shouldn't matter is because he came in as, you know, the offensive guru. He was your quarterback. He was going to be your quarterback's guru. Uh, the first year was magical, but it was not because of the offense, right? It was because of how great the defense was. Yes. And and it sucked since then. As we hear are here on Saturday suckage, it has <laughs> sucked since then. And you can argue that they completely lucked into Justin Fields in the draft because of whatever was happening in the top ten there and people passing on him. I'm sure Carolina would like to have their pick back, please, uh, and take Justin Fields. But uh, all those things notwithstanding, I don't think – Fields is succeeding because of Matt Nagy. I think he is succeeding in spite of Matt Nagy. And if it's me, I'm with you. I, I do not see this uh, as a uh, a long-term fit for the coach. I think, um, you know, while the players certainly seem to uh, have stuck together, I don't believe that uh, Matt Nagy is doing a lot of the things uh, well that a head coach needs to do. Well, except if you're uh, the two stooges, George and Ted, where you like six-game losing streaks, and now the Bears are two-thirds of the way through another to another <laughs> six-game losing streak. So but, yeah. you're talking about the fact that he is still coaching, and he is working on the third straight season of a minimum of at least a losing streak of four games. Mm-hmm. I just, it's stunning the the way. The stupidity that goes on and just, I don't know, this other piece. And if you didn't think the NFL was right, if you're blaming the officials and you said it wasn't taunting and blah, well, guess what? The NFL said you're wrong. Cassius Marsh was fined $5,972 for his act, for his taunting, for looking like he'd never played football before and marching toward the Pittsburgh Steelers sideline. Hey, look at me. Dig me. So he got fined six, almost $6,000 for Man. that. And that's, that is just, <clears throat> there's, there's not, I, I look at that and you see guys getting kicked out of the game. You see idiot bears under Nagy throwing punches in games. It happened three, they've had three ejections in the last two years, two, less than two seasons. And you see them with these taunting penalties. And you see them lining up offsides. And there are some that weren't even called. They lined up offsides, and the, and the opponent still chose to decline it because they did better than just whatever you were going to give them with that penalty. How can I, anybody yeah. look at this guy and think, we need him to coach? And if you look, I saw some, some people making the claim that, well, look what happened in the second half against Pittsburgh. Look at the adjustments. No. Look how the Bears dominated. Well, that was the same Pittsburgh team in the second half, the same personnel, the same head coach. Where was that game plan in the first half? Where was that when Matt Nagy had a chance to influence it from the start? So often, his teams haven't been prepared. His teams... He, he never wants to talk about scheme, and no wonder. His scheme sucks. Yeah. They're at the bottom <laughs> of every important offensive category. He sucks. They suck. And they've lost four in a row 
And you're telling me about second half adjustments because they did so well. And yeah. Okay. Yeah. So no, why I, can't he figure it out during the week? Well, and, and that's what gets me is that this is not a one-time thing, right? There are many games when the Bears come out and just absolutely do nothing in the first half of the game. And then, you know, whether they come back and win or, or continue and, and lose, whatever the outcome, the, the result is, normally, of course, if you're playing horribly in the first half, and especially if your opponent is out to a, a large lead, of course you're going to come back in the second half because this is the NFL and and you get some garbage time yards and points. I mean, that is just what happens. And I'm not saying the Steelers was garbage time because you came back and you took the lead in this game. But I'm 100% with you, uh, and I'm certainly hoping that we're not listening in after the season at another Ted and George press conference where we're told how they bounced back from the losing streak is why that this, oh, this group is coming back. If, if it makes you feel better, I'm looking at their schedule. Uh, Baltimore next week, they're going to be PO'd after losing to the Dolphins, for the love of God. Um, yeah, but the Dolphins, you know, the Dolphins gave the Bears defense a game plan for beating, stopping, smothering Lamar Jackson and and beating the Ravens. They they showed you. You just got to blitz the, the hell out of them. That's what it's going to take. <clears throat> I don't know if the Bears defense is good enough to do that. I don't know if it'll be healthy enough to do that. I don't know if it's fast enough to do that. But that is the game plan, and the Dolphins won with that, and they were relentless with that. I don't know if Sean Desai cares, but that that's a possibility. Yeah, I, I'm just. And I'm then they and then they go to Detroit, right, for Thanksgiving when they always win. Correct. Because Detroit, so the and, Lions and, just go Lions the, on you. The the Lions on Thanksgiving though, right? They they can lion you. They can surprise you. Maybe. No, but it's, they I mean, cannot. Listen, the Lions are not going to go winless. I I would not think. But listen, at three and six, I mean, you would have to go, what, five and two to even consider. That would put you at five hundred, five and two, finishing the season. Find me five wins in Baltimore. Wait, no, you Detroit, can't be five hundred to finish the season unless there's a tie. Oh, that's right. There's seventeen games this year, Espo. See, I'm my and math again. This is why. This is why journalism is here. Is we're not math majors, but no, I mean you've got Minnesota twice. You've got Seattle on here. You've got the Packers again. You've got the Cardinals, who are the uh, one of the best records in football. You've got Baltimore coming off of that loss. Find yeah. me five or six wins there. I, I just don't. I just don't see it. Detroit, the Giants, one of the two Minnesota games because Kirk Cousins. So that's gonna. Those, those are three <laughs> of the wins. Um, that gets you to six. I don't know. It depends if Russell Wilson gets hurt again. They could beat the the Seahawks. Well, I just, just think they could. Back. Yeah, right. And, he's coming I, back. Well, that's the other news today besides Cassius Marsh. Um, the other news is Russell Wilson against Aaron Rodgers tomorrow. Rodgers is in the building. Right. With the Packers, he's expected to be activated this afternoon from the COVID list and expected to start tomorrow. So it's Packers, Seahawks, Rodgers, Wilson. Uh, tomorrow at Lambeau Field. So just when you thought the Bears could not have a worse owner than the McCaskies, there's the new owner, Aaron Rodgers, or the self-proclaimed owner. <laughs> right. So he gets fined, what was it, about $14,000? He got fined uh, 14000 uh, 14, and change, right? For, it was not a lot, yes. Pocket yeah. change. So Cassius Marsh took five steps towards the Steelers' bench celebrating a sack. 
and was fined $6,000 for taunting. So a little more than, little less than half of what Aaron Rodgers got for endangering people's lives. This is the NFL for you. They just, it's just, it's a, it's an embarrassing thing. And I love this. Did you see what Kareem said? What Kareem said, wrote about? Uh Yep. So the headline on the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar piece about Aaron Rodgers was Aaron Rodgers didn't just lie, he also damaged professional sports. The deck read his lies, his illogical defense, and his hubris damage all professional athletes. Among the things, this was this was his his uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar skyhook. Instead of consulting immunologists, he consulted anti-vaxxer and podcast host Joe Rogan, who also contracted the virus. If he, meaning Rogers, ever requires open-heart surgery, will he hand the, sh- the scalpel to romance writers because they know about matters of the heart? You go, Kareem. You go. And meanwhile... Thanks to my daughter working on uh, e-channel, I'm <clears throat> I'm up on these kind of things. Um, <laughs> the Big Little Lies actor Shailene Woodley, the fiance of Aaron Rodgers. Fiance, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she's been tweeting. She's been happily tweeting. <clears throat> One of the things that she did was she shared this quote: "Calm seas may bring you peace, but storms are where you'll find your power." She's been a vocal critic. She's been vocal over the years about the pen, her pension, her preference for natural remedies. And she's been taking a lot of the blame online for Aaron Rodgers' anti-vax stance and the idiot talk coming out of, out of his mouth. So some fans are suggesting she was behind his decision to skip the shot and he missed a game last week and maybe leaves Green Bay because they're mad at him. And so... I think we have to get ready for the name change to Yoko Woodley. I think that's what we. <laughs> I think that's the way it's going to go, ladies and gentlemen. But can you imagine that? The man who says he owns the Bears, <clears throat> dumber than the McCaskies, more embarrassing than, than the McCaskies. Wow, that's it. It's Let's some... talk more about Bears football because it's just Bears. irresistible. Let's talk with Chris Emma. He covers the Bears for the Score. He's Mike Esposito. I'm Steve Rosenblum. He's in for Grody, who was in for Espo, as a matter of fact, who was in for Jordan Burnfield, who'd better be doing prep for Loyola basketball right now. He'd <laughs> stop listening to us and tweeting us pictures. He was texting us pictures of Fred McGriff in the Tom Amansky hat. That's I mean, it's right, just, the crime dog. That's what wow. we need. Well, if there's a Tom Amansky drop or a crime dog drop in the... If there's a, a reference in the Loyola game, you people will now know how this whole thing happened. That's right. <laughs> We're Saturday second is how it happened. Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. Go Bears! How many more times is Quinn going to line up offside before somebody t- took him out of the game? Right. I mean, here's the saying that I say all the time. You're either coaching it or allowing it to happen. Right? You're either coaching it or allowing it to happen. So you're coaching him to be offside because you're allowing it to happen. And, and without taking them all of the game, you know, and I think that's part of the issue. I think that's a big part of the issue, and, and, and that's something that needs to get handled. Yeah, well, no. That's Michael Lombardi, Odyssey NFL insider. He was on with Molly and Haw. He is every week. 
They was talking about uh, historically pathetic coach Matt Nagy. Team lines up offside. Team lines up offside. There's no consequence. You might as well line up offside. Nothing's going to happen to you. You're not going to miss plays. You're not going to lose playing time because he's, I don't know, he's got no backbone. They don't respect him. They don't do anything. They 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 taunt. They 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 make the officials have a reason to throw flags. They bring the officials into the game because of the way he coaches them, or the way he doesn't coach them. That's uh, well. This is the score. That sucks. So does this. This is Saturday suckage. Mike Esposito's in for Mark Grody. I'm Steve Rosenblum. We go to the Scores Hotline, presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. We welcome back to our airwaves, score reporter Chris Emma. Chris, thanks for joining us today. And the fallout specifically from the taunting was Cassius Marsh got fined almost $6,000 by the NFL. The Bears still line up offsides. I don't know what they said, what the feeling was, how it played out, how every bit of it played out, but you can give us a you can give us a sense of maybe this is a lack of respect for the coach, lack of respect for their teammates. Why why worry about that? They're not, there's not going to be a consequence, or what, were there indications that this will change? This will change. Rosie. Yeah, Rosie Espo, good to be with you. It's Look, you said it right, Rosie. I, I agree. It has to be reflection of the coach and also the culture. It's a player-led culture. It's a player's coach. And these are mistakes by veteran players that cannot happen. Uh, look, I understand a lot of the gripes, and rightfully so, about the officiating. There was a lot of calls that really went and hurt the Bears in that game. But you point to the March play in particular, get off the field. Like, he celebrated with the, the drop kick or whatever that was, and then with his teammates, and then he started moving toward the Steelers' sidelines. Get off the field. It's fourth down. The punt team's out. Like, it, it, it Nagy even kind of indicated it, and I agreed with him in that case. Like, you're inviting the penalty. It shouldn't have, the flag should have been thrown in that spot. It's a really costly penalty, and one that Tony Carrenti, a flag he should have kept in his pocket, but... Uh, there were so many different examples of undisciplined and poor play from the Bears. Uh, 12 penalties for 115 yards. Those weren't all bad calls. Like, there were several bad calls, but there was also a lot of really undisciplined football within. Yeah, and, and Chris, we were talking last segment about the Bears always having to kind of regroup at, at the half and, you know, how a lot of, uh, in a lot of instances, their first halves are just complete duds. Um, to me, that is an indictment of, of the game plan and, uh, and of the coaching uh, that they are receiving. And I just think that, especially with Justin Fields, I mean, you can't have to come in there with uh, the old schematic disadvantage uh, in a game, to me, is just setting up your, your young quarterback to, to fail. Well, yeah, exactly, yes. But, I mean, they had 127 yards of offense in the first half and six points to show for it. Like, the offense was not the same offense we had seen where the Bears were finding success with the fields. And they came out with it in the second half with the moving the pocket, getting fields in those kind of spots where he's been succeeding. How many times in the first half was he dropping back and had nothing there? The offensive line was unraveling for him. Like, they so quickly, right out of the gates, went to the kind of offense that had failed Justin Fields so many times before why did they come out with such a bad offensive game plan? Like when they clearly found something that was working and why did it take the halftime adjustments to really understand, okay, this is what Justin Fields needs to be successful. Let's start moving the pocket. Let's get him in a spot where he can go one progression, two progression run. Like 
It was the offense. He, he took off with it in the second half. He had the best game of his professional career so far, and I think it's all arrow pointing up for Justin Fields. But uh, that first half was a reflection of the coaching staff and the game plan more than it was the quarterback. We're talking with Chris Emma covering the Bears for the score. We're talking Bears here with Steve Rosenblum and Mike Esposito in for Grody today. So PFF, Pro Football Focus, had Justin Fields ranked number one. Uh, quarterback performances this week. So what he did, you know, it was it was draw it was dramatic, it was heroic. It was still just one touchdown. He was not on the field when they scored the other two. One was a special teams touchdown and one was a wildcat. So he did a lot of good things. I don't know how PFF I don't know how the algorithm, the rating system, how they put that together. I do know that I saw a guy get better and grow. And whether he ranked number one or whether you... I'm loath to compare him to Mitch Trubisky throwing six TD passes in one game and everybody thinking that was that. This was a game on the road, a better a better team, a better opponent. And what he did was was more dramatic. He was under greater pressure. What were the things that you liked most about what he did? What jumped out at you about the Justin Fields performance, Chris? Well, I can go twofold on this, and I'll start with the end of the game, actually, with what he showed in that crunch time moment. You saw that as the Justin Fields, here's your chance. It's a primetime game, Monday night football. You're on the road in a very hostile atmosphere, and you need to drive your team downfield. And he had all the poise you want of a winning quarterback. And, you know, the Bears were so close to actually pulling out that victory. Uh, Justin Fields shined in that moment. But beyond that, just the big picture with Justin Fields, He's so confident now. And what does that mean? That's not just the mental buildup, or that's not just he feels good about himself. In terms of pure quarterback play, it's the understanding of his progressions and what he has to do with the football. Uh, it's the ticking of that internal clock in his head that is set right, and that's what the Bears have not had. They didn't have that with Trubisky. Uh, the internal clock is always going right, where it's, okay, there's one progression that's not there. There's my second one. Is it there? No. Okay, I'm going to tuck and run. It's all within the timing and rhythm of the offense. Uh, he understands what he needs to do to operate each play better and there's going to be some hiccups it's a rookie quarterback you understand that but uh, the growth of what we've seen in Justin Fields is night and day from where he started out in September stepping into that starting role and really struggling with a lot of the aspects of the offense and of course the timing of the NFL to now where everything is fitting his strengths and he understands what he can do because that talent's always been there. When he came in, you knew he had a rocket arm. You knew he had, you know, that 4-4 type speed. Uh, you realize he could be a game-breaking player, but he had to put it all together. And when you hear that term, put it all together, it's what we're seeing now. It's the timing. It's the comfort within the scheme and the ability to use his own talents within the flow of Matt Nagy's scheme. And you're seeing him really succeed now. Chris, uh, some of the encouraging things in addition to Justin Fields from that Pittsburgh game, uh, the way Cole Komet was used and Allen Robinson getting back in the mix. And I think especially for Komet, uh, a lot of us have been wondering, it's like you, you, you made it a priority to get this guy in the draft two years ago, and then you've barely used him since then. Uh, this was almost uh, a little bit of a coming out party for, for Mr. Komet in, uh, in Pittsburgh. 
Yeah, exactly. I, I wrote about it this week on our 670thescore.com. The, the comfort's growing for Komet within his quarterback. And uh, think about last season for him where the Bears didn't have much confidence in putting him in a role within the offense. And he kind of expanded on that later in the season as they kind of developed an identity offensively with Trubisky. Uh, this season, he was really hoping to pick up where he left off in 2020 and be that impact player. And uh, the adjustment they had to make with field stepping in really kind of hindered Komet in a way because just like every other target, like Mooney to some degree, certainly now and Robinson and the rest of the guys in this offense, uh, they didn't have that chemistry with Justin Fields, which that's another discussion of its own, but why he wasn't getting those first team reps during training camp. Uh, that's on Matt right. Nagy, but now they have that rhythm. Uh, Cole Komet spent part of this offseason at that tight end university camp in Nashville with George Kittle, Greg Olson, Travis Kelsey, and one of the things he took away from that camp, guys, was the ability of how you improvise routes and coverage, and you break away from whatever's designed for you to get past a safety or to get underneath you know, that third level. And Komet, it really needs to establish that with a quarterback. It's not something Komet can simply do on his own. It's Fields understanding what Komet is going to do within a certain coverage. They have that uh, knowledge now. They have that kind of connection growing because Fields has set up these Zoom meetings. Uh, he's working after practice with guys like Komet, Robinson, Mooney, and really trying to establish just beyond the basic scheme what they do to improvise routes. And uh, Komet is getting the workload. The coaching staff has a lot of trust in him. Uh, he already has matched his season total in 28 catches from last season. Uh, he's really been a bright spot so far recently. Talking with Chris Emma, the scorer, talking Bears here. Steve Rosenblum, Mike Esposito with you. So the, <clears throat> I think the NFL is going to vote and see whether the Bears are allowed to play after their off week. Should they, <laughs> should they win that vote, then the Bears will be playing Baltimore. They'll be playing Lamar Jackson. The Dolphins gave you the blueprint for beating Lamar Jackson, which means you're going to beat Baltimore. Blitz more than half the time. Keep him in the pocket, pressure him, blitz him, and that's what the Dolphins did, and they beat him. Do you think Sean Desai is, believes his defense is fast enough and cagey enough to do to Lamar Jackson what the Dolphins did? I don't know if he believes it because the Dolphins played like a perfect game plan against him, but there's some basic fundamental aspects of what the Dolphins did to Lamar Jackson that the Bears can incorporate. And you mentioned it, trying to keep him in the pocket. And in particular, the rushes off the edge with a nickel or a safety. Uh, they really did a great job of containing Lamar Jackson and really trying to make him a pocket passer or having the plays unravel before he could even make a, a throw. Uh, Lamar Jackson was not the same quarterback in that ball game, And, to Sean Desai's credit, he's somebody who likes to incorporate things that he sees from other teams' game plans. Think about that game against the Raiders a month ago where they were coming off a tough loss to the Chargers on a Monday night game. Uh, put aside, you know, the, the issues they have with John Gruden and, you know, the inevitable uh, parting of ways there. But uh, just from a purely schematic standpoint, Sean Desai recognized what the Raiders were failing to do and what the Chargers exploited. He brought that to a game plan that really shut down that Las Vegas offense. So, um I don't know in terms of how, you know, the guys he's going to trust. They're kind of short at that nickelback position. Uh, they're certainly shorthanded at safety right now without Eddie Jackson and with DeAndre Houston Carson stepping in. But uh, however he makes it work, the game plan is there defensively to defend Lamar Jackson. Yeah, and Chris, uh, as we get ready to let you go, uh, we're talking about uh, the rest of the season. Sitting at 3-6, and six, you figure at the very least six and two would be needed to get you into any kind of postseason uh, consideration. 
Um, find me a way to, to six and two in the second half here. If you're, if you're Matt Nagy, be, best, best case scenario, right? Best case scenario. How do the bears, how do the bears go six and two the rest of the way here? I, I might discover Bigfoot before I can get you to road to six and two. Uh, golly. I mean, Thanks they come out of the gates with the Ravens here too. And they're not winning that ball game. Uh, I mean, Cardinals on the schedule, Packers, Vikings, Seahawks, Look, it's tough sledding, and I'm, I don't think I have an answer for you, but keep the perspective in mind. George McCaskey didn't say much in January when they retained Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace, but he did say he wants progress. So measure him up to that standard of nine wins. Even with a 17-game schedule, you get the extra game to go nine wins. They're not coming close to that. Uh, they're going to be well shy of that standard. If that's the case, then George McCaskey has to make those necessary changes. He has to hold himself and this organization up to that standard. Yeah, okay. Well, he's been shown to be a stooge. We'll see. Yeah. So. All right. Chris, thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Thanks Take for care. coming on. All right, Chris, I'm of the score. Talking Bears. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we will uh, discuss Cubs. They're, we are your home for Cubs baseball. Cubs radio broadcast. Ronnie, Ronnie. tell us about the Cubs offseason. And we're going to discuss that with Mark Gonzalez. Gonzo always brings it. We'll ask him to bring it next. Steve Rosenblum, Mike Esposito, Saturday Suckage. We suck so you don't have to. That's why we're talking about the Cubs. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.